Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, we're talking about how schools have coped with COVID-19 with Ernest Genevs, who is the founder of Edurio, and Nicola West-Jones, head of market research at The Key. We'll be learning about the large-scale survey that Edurio did in the summer term, looking at the themes of learning, community, leadership and well-being, and digging a little bit deeper into some of those statistics with Nicola peppering the podcasts with some of her insights from conversations with school leaders up and down the country. Before we begin, just like to remind listeners that this podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around issues. The views my guest and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Today, I'm joined by Ernest Genevs, founder of Edurio, and Nicola West-Jones, head of market research at The Key, to talk about Edurio's report into the impact of COVID-19 on schools in England. Hi, and welcome to both of you. Hello. Ernest, can you tell us a little bit about Edurio, who you are and what you do? Uh, of course, Edurio is a relatively young technology company helping schools in the UK and internationally uh, use uh, parent, pupil and staff uh, feedback to manage their school improvement. We work with about a thousand schools uh, globally, um, primarily with multi-academy trusts in the UK, uh, with about 50 trusts. Um, and our work ranges across topics like staff well-being, staff retention, parental engagement, uh, governance, uh, as well as now uh, COVID impact, which was a special project we started uh, earlier this year. Great stuff. And can you tell us sort of how and and why you undertook this project? Early March, uh, we were all facing a a new reality. And uh, the schools and trusts that we worked with uh, were suddenly trying to figure out okay, well, how do we operate in, in a way that we've never had to deal with before? And, uh, and through uh, the trust that we work with, so for example, United Learning and, and others, we kind of realized that this new situation needs a new set of questions asked. So understanding whether learning is happening and what it is looking like, uh, how's the well-being in this, in this weird setup? And so, Throughout the, the kind of the springtime, we uh, looked at various questions. We were running pulse surveys for trusts and just trying to understand what's going on. And then in prep for the summer term, we realized, well, we've, we've had a unique situation and we don't know what the disruption is going to look like going forward. So we said, let's consolidate what we've learned. And we did this in collaboration with United Learning. Uh, and let's try to design a set of a framework which we can then measure across a range of schools across England and try to help school leaders really understand what's going on for their schools in relation to other schools, but also help policymakers and the community understand what was this term like and what do we need to learn from that going forward. Yeah, I think it's so important to... 
um, really distill and capture those learnings because you know we're, we're having this conversation in the, the first week of the new term and people's minds are already on to new challenges and, and, and other things that are thrown their way by the department and others. So having this piece of work that really looks back to, to some of the, the, the learnings is is really Im, important. And can you can you tell us a little bit more about why you chose the, the areas of focus that you that you did for the for the surveys? So it was really uh, iterative um, and it was based on the past research we had done. So uh, learning and well-being where uh, we obviously spoke with a lot of trust leaders and school leaders, uh, were the first ones that, that come to mind, obviously. It, does learning happen, which is the, the key objective uh, of the school? Uh, and uh, what, does, what does bullying look like? What does a sense of kind of anxiety and stress, uh, how has that changed in this setup? So those were given. Um, community was something that we added because we realized that that's a particular concern for school leaders as an area that is difficult to manage uh, in a remote setup, which was the, uh, the where the majority of schools were uh, largely operating, um, and then leadership um, it came as uh, as a theme from our past research on staff well-being and staff retention in England, where we found that the way that staff uh, communicate with the leadership and the relationship there is the key determinant of of staff overall happiness being in school. So so it, it kind of uh, gathered a number of themes that capture what's on top of mind for school leaders and also what our research has shown to be really important for school to operate a good education practice. And let's let's hear more about what the big findings in your report are in, in relation to those areas. And, and Nicola, maybe you can share some insights from, from work that you've been doing from the, the key as we go. We started the research with a general look on, well, how satisfied parents, pupils, and staff have been with the, with how the schools have managed uh, the situation. And a really encouraging message for us was uh, that the vast majority of staff and parents, so 87% of staff and 72% of parents, said they were happy with the school's handling of the COVID-19 disruption. Um, and also over half, so six out of 10 pupils said they have coped well with the situation. And with, and that's a really important finding because, um, because we often hear about the challenges that everybody's been facing, but we saw that there was a real appreciation that we're in this together and there's a real appreciation for the hard work that school leaders have put in during this unprecedented challenge. And, uh, and overall, there was appreciation from, appreciation from the staff and the parents uh, that the school leaders had uh, uh, kind of uh, kept, uh, kept the process going and done the best they could for the education community given the circumstances. I think it's so important to, to capture that and, and say, because as you say, you know, in the throes of, of the, the decision making and that work, people probably didn't feel enormously confident about what they were doing. Um, so to actually say that 
you know that your community and and your parents and and pupils actually appreciate what leadership are doing and think that they were doing the right things is is a really important thing to kind of shine a light on Nicola, and, is, is there anything that you'd like to add at that point i can just to say i think there's this has been a really interesting time for parents um we've done num- a number of surveys um, over the years at the key and across the spectrum, one of the things that we know school leaders find most stressful about their role is dealing with parents um, and the high expectations um, that parents have of them and of the school. And I think this period has been really interesting in that um, the school has really come into the home in a way that it never has before. And parents have really um, been opened up to what, what happens in schools, what happens in learning, what happens in terms of the preparation required for a lesson and the learning that might happen or the motivation levels, the behavior, all of that stuff um, that they have not necessarily had exposure to before has really kind of come to the fore. And I think there's been a huge appreciation from that angle of parents. Um, and it's great to see that that's borne out in this survey that um, that's not something that, you know, they've appreciated uh, schools in a way that perhaps they haven't before. So we start on a very positive note. Ernest, do you want to share some more of the findings? Uh, so it was interesting for us to see uh, that that the parent uh, responses in particular were so positive because a lot of school leaders that we spoke with said that they felt in, to be in a very awkward mid-position between the, the guidance that comes uh, and that is frequently changing and what they need to communicate then to the parent community and their staff. And what we saw worked well is, uh, as, as Nicola said, the open communication and kind of being able to actually say, well, we don't know all the answers, we're doing best we can, that we saw was seen, noticed and appreciated. So, 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 so that's, that's a really positive. The flip side there is, um, even though the majority of pupils have coped well, the role of the school and the role of the school leader is not to ensure a good education for the majority. It is to ensure good education for all. And, and that is one of the main challenges that the research, research highlighted is that even though the majority of pupils might be doing well, the majority of parents are happy and the majority of staff are, are uh, feeling uh, like they're coping with the situation. Um, there are significant uh, minorities that have struggled. So 16% of pupils, so one in eight pupils say they have struggled uh, with the situation. And that is just uh, a too high a number uh, for us to be comfortable with. Um, and if we ask the teachers, they say that the gap in attainment has, has grown, that uh, those who were less able uh, in school are also much more difficult to support in this new environment. So within the overall positive message, we need to appreciate that a large number of uh, pupils, parents and staff members are struggling with their uh, own unique uh, situations. And that is something that we just need to really understand w- where that happens and, and why that is happening and what we can do given the Uh, specific situation we're in to change that. I think that's a really interesting point about the lower attainers that comes out through the report um, and how schools um, or teachers have 
have highlighted that it was particularly hard to reach those pupils and to feel that they've made progress. And one thing I've picked up in research we've done at the key is, um, is the, the use of teaching assistants who are typically used with those lower attaining students, whether or not they have special needs or not. Um, and they've really struggled to deploy those teaching assistants. Um, a lot of them have told me they've been, you know, reorganizing uh, filing systems and cupboards and resources. And where they have um, been able to support with, um, with learning of lower attainers, it's really been through the medium of the parents. So rather than working one-to-one -one or one-to-a small group with a, a group of children, it's been a, a TA, a teaching assistant, on the phone with a parent of one of those children, kind of giving them guidance. And, and you can see that that's not an adequate way of supporting that child. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's quite clear that that would be a, an effect on, you know, the lack of um, extra support from those TAs on that, that group of learners. Yeah, really, really interesting points there. Thank you. Ernest? Um, so then, um, if we think about, um, so, so we've kind of covered the general picture. We've, we've, we've spoken about the, the learning gap, which is, which is a, an important theme. Um, also, that the pupil feelings about their progress materially differ, not only based on whether they were high achievers or low achievers, but also, for example, which year group they're in. So uh, years uh, 10 to 13, uh, less than a third said they've had good progress this term, uh, whereas uh, the ones in the younger years in primary school have felt much better about uh, this year. Um, and and, and so, so that's another example of where those differences are important because when we are when the pupils are closer to the uh, kind of concluding this stage of their education, they feel like they're kind of there's a there's a limited time for them to catch up, and 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 that also has influenced their feeling about the progress materially. Yeah, and it must be difficult in terms of um, you know, there's been a lack of assessment in all sorts of ways obviously we we know we know much more about the, those formal um assessments but you know children not doing classes end of year tests uh, internally as well so you know it must be difficult to actually feel um feel progress or recognize uh, progress uh, for those for those pupils as well i think those younger year pupils um speaking as a parent of two of them and an ex teacher they have a very inflated sense of their own um, achievement often as well. And, um, and, you know, that might be tempered slightly in a classroom situation where they, they can feel perhaps they're not doing as well because they can listen to their peers around them and, and reflect perhaps I haven't quite understood that. But when they're working at home in isolation, I think it's much easier for them to think, yeah, this is fine, I'm doing a great job. But the older they get and the more kind of cognizant of um, learning they become and their peers and their relationship to them in terms of learning i think the more aware they 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 are of, of how much progress they've made and i think that possibly explains why you can see that dip from um that dip in confidence in, in their progress as they get older i suppose the the older they get the more learning progress is translated into curriculum progress mm -hmm. uh in, in the sense that uh, we have seen examples of uh, valuable uh, skills being picked up from this period. So self-directed learning, uh, resilience, and being able to look for their own 
solutions, uh, uh, which is important. Uh, but when you are close to the exams and you're worried about uh, 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 hitting all, all, all the all the study points, then uh, then there's a very clear understanding that we are not progressing with the curriculum as, as fast as we'd like to. And I wonder whether that's um, linked to your findings around anxiety and stress levels in, in pupils. I, I, I interviewed a, a designated safeguarding lead in a secondary school in London um, who told me that 98% um, of the issues she's dealing with are around anxiety. Um, and that anxiety is, is less around COVID and it was, it was much more around um, you know, academic progress and, and worry about exams and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think the two of those things are strongly related. Absolutely. Uh, and it was interesting for us to see that uh, uh, quite a considerable number, uh, so, so, so four out of 10 pupils said they felt stressed uh, often uh, last term. Uh, and over half of the parents reported that they had seen their pupils, their kids, uh, be stressed or anxious uh, more frequently than before. And so, so that is uh, also very different across schools, mm -hmm. but still importantly, uh, an, an important challenge uh, for the sector uh, in, in this uh, semi-remote setup. If we talk about community, uh, which was an interesting one for us because we expected that that would be difficult to maintain a good level in. Um, we saw that over half of pupils never uh, worked with their, did, we saw that over half of the pupils said that they never worked with something together with their classmates last term. And uh, we were not surprised to see that, uh, but that is, an important finding, if disruption continues, then this is something that schools will need to address uh, because uh, collaborative learning is, is a key aspect of development and that has been missing uh, through, through this period. And we need to be able to find better ways for pupils to collaborate within the class or, uh, or in the wider uh, community with the school. I think um, this is a generation that has been Kind of brought up on things like talk for learning, share that, share your answer with your partner before you respond. Working on group tables rather than in rows. You know, this this is a generation that's never had to study alone, um, and they've always been connected. So it's possibly much harder for them than you know the previous generation might have found it. Um, and I do worry for uh, this coming term as to how how schools will you know try and keep that kind of group collaboration going in in. Um, in the wake of, of bubbles and social distancing. Yeah, sure. especially yeah. difficult in, in, in terms of the physical distancing required and we're, you know, primary classrooms for the first time ever in rows facing the teacher. Um, and, 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 you know, no doubt as cases start to get reported, etc. you know, it will be even harder to establish who's working on what, when, and how we can, you know, how you can collaborate. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting finding there. And it was interesting for us to observe that uh, across most questions, uh, primary schools did better than secondary schools. So primary schools uh, across really uh, the entire review had uh, considerably better scores uh, than secondary schools. 
And I've discussed that with uh, a number of trust leaders and school leaders. And one of the uh, potential reasons uh, that they have given to this is the strength of community in primary schools. The fact that the, the parents know the teachers, they take, uh, are used to taking the, 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 the children to the school themselves. And where it's been a less formal uh, relationship between the family and the school uh, and the pupils in the school, it has also been easier to maintain a sense of trust, a sense of safety, uh, and a sense of uh, clarity around the, the communication channels. So, so, so community uh, is quite possibly very important in, in managing disruption uh, like this. I think that's really interesting. Um, some, a, a head teacher I spoke to of a, a large secondary school told me that um, on average, the rota during the summer term meant that a, a, an average teacher was only going into school one day in 60. Um, and then you compare that with a primary school. I spoke to a, a very small rural kind of 100, 100 people primary school who said that you know they only had three or four teachers, but they were in three or four to five days a week. Um, and you can see that those, you know, where those staff are not physically in school much, uh, harder to kind of have an overview of what's going on. Um, and also the pupils, you know, you've got key worker pupils in primary schools um, in school, whereas you get to secondary school and they don't need that kind of, you know, babysitting of being being in a, in a physically in a school. They can work from home. And it just strikes me that there might be something in that, that there's you know, the, the, the larger the organization, um, the fewer staff are needing to be in, uh, the fewer pupils are in. Um, and I think that probably has a lot to do with it. Um, and I know from other work we've done at the key on kind of segmenting um, schools by size, that, that larger schools, i.e. secondary schools, find it much harder to do that kind of communication piece generally. Um, and that, that can be to do with just, you know, there might be 200 members of staff and it's just too many to get rounds, too many to be in the same room on the same day. Um, and I think that's possibly got a lot to do with that. And, and whether they start approaching that differently now, we'll see. I've, I've met her or virtually met her head who says from now on, he'll never go back to doing um, whole school uh, staff meetings at his secondary school. It's all over Google Meets now because he can get everybody, all the part-time workers, everybody that's kind of um, out of out of school that day in one physical place um, and, and that's going to be the future for him. Yeah, I think that it's interesting to see um, from your report there and it's the, the sort of regularity of, of communication as you were saying before, the honesty with which people can say, look, this is as much as I know at the moment, these are the things that we're waiting for or this is the thing that's just changed and not feel kind of guilty about continually communicating and actually recognizing that, that people don't want to be in the dark. They don't want to wait until these arbitrary government announcements to get information. They want it, you know, on a regular basis and that that is a, a useful learning for, for parental engagement across, across the board, not just in this COVID period. Absolutely. And that is uh, in, in the fourth uh, area that we explored leadership. Those are some of the questions we looked at. Was the communication clear? Were the expectations clear? And, the, uh, and was their involvement in decision making? And uh, something that we saw as a, as a real positive, again, uh, was that uh, eight out of 10 staff members and seven out of 10 parents said that, said that the communication from the school leader had been clear. 
uh, and the majority uh, felt that they understood the decisions made. And that's, uh, again, really a positive message for those schools who have sometimes overinvested in communication. Uh, uh, but but, but in, in the majority of the schools, that was seen and appreciated. Um, it's a little bit of a different story with involvement in decision making, and, and that's important to, uh, to, to, to note, note the difference. Um, uh, about half of staff members felt involved in the decisions that affect them, uh, which, is, uh, which, is, which is positive given the massive pace with which sometimes decisions had to be made. Uh, but only a quarter of parents felt involved in the decisions. And, uh, and that is something that uh, going forward, given, given that uh, we might be in various uh, types of disruption uh, in, in the next term, in the next year, um, being able to involve uh, parents in a more systematic way in the decisions that affect uh, the children, et cetera, and make them feel more involved uh, could be another additional step to, to help strengthen the community, especially when difficult decisions have to be made. I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I interviewed a head in a disadvantaged area with a high proportion of um, EEAL, English as an additional language, children. Um, and he was really struggling in persuading the families of those children, most of whom had very uh, low levels of English, um, that it was safe to come back to school and was, was really, always really worried that that's going to affect the, um, their Ofsted grade in terms of their attendance levels. Um, and so it's trying to do all kinds of interesting things to get those um, families back in, including perhaps he was talking about um, recording um, a translation of some government guidance for parents in, their, in, in Urdu or whatever language um, you know, they were speaking. Um, and just in a way to kind of meet them halfway and, and have, have that um, dialogue with them um, and recognizing that just sending out um, a newsletter or a, a policy document or a, a letter telling them what, what the changes were gonna be was, was probably not enough for some of those families. They needed to be properly consulted with. Um, and he, he was listening to them. He, had a, he was doing a, a weekly call with um, parents over Zoom, which was a drop-in for them to just ask any questions at all. Um, and you know, it was proving really popular. He was, he was finding out all kinds of reasons why they, why they were reluctant to send their children in. Um, and, and often they were quite easily addressable. And I know speaking as, as a governor, we did a, a, a large sales survey with our, our parents about, about reopening at the beginning of, of June. And because we have um, our community is a lot of um, people with BAME, uh, backgrounds, you know, 80% of parents didn't want to send their children to school and we t took the decision to take longer to prepare the school and prepare the parents because we didn't want to open and have no one come back. So, you know, it, it, there is something about how, how to involve um, parents in, in, in the process that, that makes for more successful uh, decision making. Absolutely. Um, and finally, within the leadership uh, piece, um, a very interesting theme that, that, that I wanted to highlight, and uh, for Nicholas, you might have some uh, uh, thoughts and perspectives on that, is uh, part, of the key, part of the leadership responsibility is uh, supporting the staff members. And so we, we asked 
staff members what support they had appreciated uh, from school leaders and where they felt they would need more support. And something that uh, really surprised us, um, we obviously saw that communication provision of information was, was up there, was something that staff members said they had appreciated getting, but also said they, they, would, even, they would like even more. Uh, and health and safety guidance was again something that was that was frequently mentioned. Now, the surprising thing for us was that half of staff members said that among the top things that they that they appreciated from the school leader, the, the support the school leaders have given them, was encouragement and providing feedback to staff, and emotional and well-being support. And that was mentioned twice as much as admin support or teaching support or methodological support. And we thought, well, is that just because that's the support that's been available to them? But no, when we ask what support they would like more of, emotional and well-being support and encouragement of providing feedback was something that was highlighted as, yes, please, we, 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 we would like more of that. And that was the... A, a, a really interesting finding for us that the responsible responsibility of the school leader uh, obviously within a difficult period has been to kind of keep the ship afloat but what the staff members have appreciated the most has been the emotional support available to them the well-being support the encouragement the word of kindness and that is something that uh, uh, that school leaders uh, can take to heart. It's about, it's about the communication, about the frequency of it, but also the type of communication uh, in order to uh, have the staff be engaged throughout this period. I think that's absolutely right. And um, yeah, we've, we've seen that in interviews uh, through the key too. And I think, you know, it's really important to remember that, you know, teachers are dealing, or school leaders are dealing with human beings and they come with their own problems. And whether that's a shielding um, family member at home or um, children who don't have um, childcare that they can cover with staff members having to do that at home whilst working um, or lack of space to work, all of those things um, suddenly become a head teacher's or a school leader's problem um, and they need to support their staff in, in those things. And, and I think we've, we've heard a lot that a lot of what they've been doing is just listening and doing these check-in calls and we, we know they've been spending a lot of time each week, not so much checking in with the pupils, but checking in with their staff, um, whether they're you know considered vulnerable in quotation marks or not. It's you know everybody seems everybody has dealt with this in the in or dealt with their own issues in this period, and, and yeah, and the school leaders have had a real part to play in that. And I think we also have to appreciate how difficult it has been for school leaders and trust leaders because. Um, it, in our well-being section, we actually saw that uh, school leaders, uh, together with IT uh, support, have uh, experienced uh, higher anxiety than other staff members, than, than teachers, than, 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 than admin staff. And when you are dealing with emotional uncertainty, balancing, that kind of being the in, the in between the, the DFE guidance and, and the staff members that you're responsible for, uh, you, you become a sponge of emotion. And so when the staff are looking for uh, with their own anxieties throughout this difficult period, I think we have to really uh, uh, take our hats off for the massive uh, 
effort the school leaders have put into to balance that and trust HR teams and trust uh, central teams to just uh, to just be able to uh, maintain uh, manageable levels of anxiety themselves while supporting them their staff body and and being helping them navigate this situation. Yeah, we, we've um, put out a survey which we are publishing in um, September, and that's just relating to school business managers. And one of the areas we've looked at specifically is their levels of anxiety and stress and workload. Um, and we had run a similar study back in uh, uh, December 2019, and we were able to compare the, those levels of stress and anxiety from uh, pre and post COVID. And it's enormous. It, the, the, it was high before, they had high levels of stress and anxiety before, um, but it's gone through the roof. And, um, and I think, you know, if, if I could encourage anybody listening to this um, to, who has, a, who has a, some agency, um, it would be to, to, to survey their, um, their staff as well as their, not just their teaching staff. I think the focus is often on the stress of teaching staff, but, but those support staff members, those people uh, doing the kind of business side of schools to, to check in on their um, anxiety and stress levels and workload, because I think this is a really big issue that's gonna come out. Um, often these people have been really kind of holding the fort, um, but you know, from from the back office without um, necessarily getting in front of parents. But it's you know, a lot of it is falling on their on them. And and recognizing that lots of those um, leaders and and teachers just really haven't had the break that they would have expected in the summer um, because of the constantly changing situation and updates to guidance. So yeah their, their their well-being is is really crucially important Ernest is there anything that you would would like to add from from findings on the on the well-being section the well-being side uh, we have uh, we have discussed that kind of the pupil well-being and we've spoken now a little bit about the staff well-being uh, uh, families uh, have uh, said they have coped relatively well uh, but again, uh, a large uh, dif difference. Uh, so in particular, uh, parents with multiple children have struggled. So, so that's something that uh, it becomes more difficult when you have uh, uh, more uh, of the remote learning process to manage. Um, but I think the biggest uh, finding on well-being has been that it differs a lot school by school. And, uh, and we see consistently high results in some schools and consistently low results of well-being in other schools, and it doesn't really, uh, it, it is not determined by the preschool meal status or by any other external properties. It's really about the unique situation to that school. And we just spoke about the uh, importance of measuring and understanding staff well-being. Uh, the positive aspect is that we know a lot of schools and a lot of trusts are picking that up and are focusing on that right now. Uh, one of our uh, uh, reports and research areas that we that we work on is staff well-being and working conditions which is uh, which is a survey instrument that we uh, developed a couple of years ago and there's been a real surge in uh, the application of that in in schools to understand well how are different groups different staff members feeling right now so so the positive message is that schools and trusts are addressing uh, and are looking at this uh, quite seriously but it is really important to understand the unique situation for each school uh, because it, we can't just say all primaries or secondaries are, uh, are, are, are like this. 
Yeah, and I was I was going to ask because we we've, we've obviously spoken a little bit about the differences between primary and secondary schools, but whether or not you learn anything from from looking at this sort of the different levels of resilience depending on the type or size of of school. Uh, so when we uh, when we looked at a composite indicator we developed, so we call it a resilience index, which took a number of key questions across the survey uh, uh, themes, uh, and we tried to say, well, are certain schools better than others uh, in this? And while we saw a clear trend that primaries had a better uh, resilience score than secondaries, um, size had a much smaller impact. So it's, it's not just that primaries are smaller than secondaries, that they've had uh, an overall better uh, performance through this, there are other factors, which is why I mentioned the community uh, aspect earlier. Uh, other than that, um, things like offset rating or preschool meal status uh, or some others we looked at don't really have a material uh, difference uh, between the, the types of, uh, of schools. So, uh, so, so that's why the unique situation of each school, the actions of the leadership, the way they've reacted, and the resources they've had available to, to react to this uh, have been the determinants of how well the pupils, parents and staff members have felt. And as you say, they're really kind of focusing on, on the core, the core bits of, of leading people and, and looking after each other and, and that, that community and, and, you know, that being so crucial through this difficult COVID period, almost leaving some of those, those other, other aspects X to one side and, and looking at the real kind of heart part of a school with this work and before we before we uh, started recording we were talking about the different rates of COVID-19 in Latvia and in England um, but you did do some research work on this um, when in Latvia can you tell us a little bit about the sort of differences the main differences between the two systems and and, and how they've responded yeah well we've we've had an opportunity to uh to research uh, the, the COVID-19 impact uh, on schools uh, internationally. And we, uh, we ran a large project with the Ministry of Education in Latvia uh, to study uh, similar questions, uh, uh, but also looking at kind of exam uh, uh, strategies, uh, et cetera. And uh, overall, the findings have been consistent, so the challenges faced in England are similar to the challenges faced in Latvia, but also the overall um, overall uh, appreciation of the school leaders' efforts has remained. Um, we have seen that in England, um, I guess the uh, the the burden has been more on the schools to deliver and to, to, to manage the learning experience. Whereas in Latvia, it has been more on the parents. So, 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 so in, in Latvia, uh, the majority of the parents uh, we surveyed, uh, and it was similar numbers to, to those in the UK, um, uh, said they spent over three hours uh, per day uh, helping their, 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 their children uh, learn. While in, the, in England, uh, the, the, the vast majority has spent up to two hours uh, 
And sorry, Ernest, is that per child or is that per family? Do you know? Yeah, that that is per family. So so obviously within within that uh, there are uh, families with three three children, etc. And, and those will spend more time in general. And did you have similar a similar kind of breakdown um, by primary and secondary in your Latvian study versus your English school study? I'm just thinking, I wonder if one way of explaining that might be, you know, with, with more secondary schools, you would assume that parents need to support less. Um, and with a higher percentage of primary schools, you know, the, the, the onus is much more on the parents to kind of to, to lead things. Uh, no, in, in both uh, countries, uh, the split between primary, secondary and year groups has been consistent. What we have seen in both countries, obviously, is that in where the children have been in lower year groups, the effort uh, spent by parents has been uh, a lot higher. So, so that, that trend is consistent. Um, and, uh, and yeah, uh, we've also applied the same research and our are running a project with international schools, uh, so so uh, British curriculum schools uh, globally. Really, whichever country we look at, whether that's Thailand or Germany, uh, we see uh, similar uh, similar trends in differences between year groups, etc. So the effect has been consistent globally. I don't think it's safe safe to say that there have been local differences, which could be due to culture, could be due to the policy. That is that is implemented, um, but uh, uh, but but uh, the lessons we can learn will be global. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. And uh, any any kind of final points you'd like to share with our listeners, or any main learnings that school leaders can really take from this research into the year ahead? Uh, I'll come to both of you, but Ernest first. So we will be continuing to do the analysis with this uh, research, and we are working on two additional uh, reports. One is lessons for school leaders, where we deep dive into what correlates with what. So, so what activities by the schools led to what outcomes? So stay tuned for uh, for more in-depth analysis. Um, I would say at this point, uh, it is just really important to think about and consider uh, how your school has done through the last term. And uh, whether it's just by looking at the themes and reflecting on uh, well-being, learning, community, uh, looking at what other schools have done and how uh, your school has done, that's an important thing to consider. Or if you uh, actually ask the pupils and the teachers and the staff members uh, and the parents, uh, that can give a really helpful insight in prepping for the new term and improve inclusion and, and, uh, and, and a sense of inclusion uh, for, for everybody. Great stuff. And, and Nicola? Well, there were three other things that we haven't had um, the opportunity to discuss that I thought were really interesting. Um, one was that um, you noted 59% of staff say that the, um, that, which was the highest number, uh, the kind of hardest thing about, the, about this period has been the time they've spent um, on a computer or on a screen. Um, and I've picked that up in interviews as well. People have talked about you know, this being a totally different job to their normal job. I mean, we've all, we're all doing a totally different job working from home, but there's, there's a lot of, there are lots of similarities where teachers are telling me it, it is completely different. And the, and the thing that makes them get out of bed in the morning is being around their pupils, which is completely gone. 
Um, and I think there is a concern that, you know, if, if we go into a second lockdown, you know, how, how do we get how do we get that back? How do we get more of kind of that two way flow? Um, the other thing I thought was interesting was your um, point around motivation of pupils being the biggest challenge. Um, you know, over and above things like access to technology. And there was, there was a really interesting piece on Newsnight um, back earlier, back in the, in the pandemic, um, where Catherine Burble Singh from Michaela Academy um, was um, making a really good point about this, that, you know, you can give children all the technology that, that they need, um, but you can't motivate them without, you know, effectively motivate them without standing in front of them. Um, and you know, I thought that was that came up really um, well in your survey. That point about you know it's the motivation thing has you know has largely fallen on parents um, who are not often the best people to to do that. And then finally, um, I thought your comments on um, in the progress that has been made, or the teacher assess teachers' assumptions about what progress has been made, um, were echoed with a, a, a assistant head who I spoke to who just said, you know, they have had children who are normally very high attaining, who've kind of gone off the radar a bit during this period and not produced much. Um, so are they to assume that that child has gone down? And then conversely, they have um, children who are lower attaining, who suddenly and magically done really well. And they're making a big assumption that that's probably because mum um, or dad has been um, playing a heavy hand in supporting with that work. Um, and what is going to happen to those children, when they reintegrate back into school, are, are they going to you know, need that handholding in order to, to survive school? But just this kind of sense that we just don't know until those children have been assessed um, you know, in, the, in the first half term back, we just don't know what we're going to get because the picture that's been built up through um, the summer term is, you know, is really a you know, finger in the air for a lot of, a lot of staff. Thank you for that, Nicola. And Ernest, any, any final reflections from you before we sign off? No, just uh, I think Nicola put it really well that uh, we, can, uh, we can look at kind of what's going on and we can kind of understand, but we have to appreciate that uh, schools, school leaders, school staff have a very challenging term ahead where we'll be exploring still a new world, still trying to understand how, what the impact on learning has been, how that has manifested, and what is the most effective way to learn in the future. And I hope that we are able to pick up lessons that we can keep beyond the disruption. Uh, so, uh, so, so, so I, I hope that we will be able to learn from this uh, in the long run, uh, but for now it's a lot about how do we react to uh, to what has happened, and how do we how do we keep going uh, as best we can? And that is why reports such as yours are are so important in in, in attempting to capture that that learning for the future. So thank you very much to Ernest and Nicola for talking to us today, and thank you very much for listening. Key Voices is produced by The Key, giving education leaders the knowledge to act. Members of The Key for School Leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at thekeysupport.com. And please tell us what you think of the podcast, rate, review and subscribe, or email me at caroline.doherty at thekeysupport.com with your thoughts and suggestions.